Hello and welcome to the Tech.eu podcast with myself, Neil Murray, and Roxanne Vaza. Hi, Roxanne. Hi, Neil. So this week we will cover Delivery Heroes IPO plans. We'll take a look at a Luxembourg-based startup job today that landed $10 million in funding. We'll be looking at French startup Aircall that announced a round of funding with Balderton Capital. And Neil, you also had a chance to catch up with Carlos Espinal from Seedcamp on their latest numbers, so we'll have a listen to that as well. So kicking it off with Berlin-based Delivery Hero, which is Rocket Internet's answer to the food delivery space, is apparently looking into potential IPO this year. So Bloomberg reported last week that the company had contacted three banks, so that's Citigroup, Deutsche Bank, and Goldman Sachs, to advise them on the public listing. Even though Delivery Hero hasn't officially commented, there are rumors that the IPO could take place in Q4 of this year, and they could be looking to raise as much as 1 billion euros. Rocket Internet actually had another company that was planning to go public last year. So that was HelloFresh, obviously in a similar space. The company had put their IPO plans on hold because of market conditions. And they're actually obviously not the only ones to have done that. There were quite a few companies that announced IPOs and then went on to put them on hold. One example, for example, that we covered recently was music streaming service Deezer. So Deezer just announced 100 million euros in funding. Spotify is apparently also seeking a really large round. So that's 500 million that they're looking for. I'm wondering, should we expect to see Spotify and if not Spotify and Deezer go for an IPO in the near future? Well, this is an interesting question. So every year, especially with Spotify, it's, you know, is this the year that Spotify finally goes public? They've hired this guy or they've hired Goldman Sachs. They're speaking to them. Oh, they've just got some new funding in. Could that be the bridge to the IPO? It's kind of been this way for the last three years. The difference being this year is that documents have been seen where they are essentially leveraging the fundraising as a way of saying, you know, we're going to IPO soon. So you're going to get, we're going to go public. If we do that in the next 12 months, this will be your return. If we don't do that, then we will slowly kind of have to pay more, if you like, or be penalized in giving you that return. So yeah, I mean, Spotify's is perhaps looking as likely as it ever has. I'm not convinced it will be this year, probably. I mean, I'm not entirely convinced it'll be next year still, but at least it's looking that way. Deezer, again, I think, yeah, I think they probably will still attempt to go public. I think this 100 million euros is a little bit of a bridge. Delivery Hero, definitely, I think that's very likely. The, these kind of rumors, I, I feel they're probably very likely, could happen in Q4. And HelloFresh could happen again. And actually, Rocket, a lot of companies that they're involved in could well IPO this year. There's West Wing, Home24. There's a number of companies that actually have really, really big valuations, so like billion-dollar-plus unicorns, European unicorns, which could go public this year. And there's quite a few of like really strong possibilities, like five. So even if one or two manage to go and do it pretty successfully, then all of a sudden we could see a stream of European tech IPOs and big ones as well. And this could put momentum back into the market as well. So it's going to be a really, really big year for European tech IPOs is either going to be a disaster and nothing happens and, and kind of public market is, is a kind of awful place to be. Or I feel like if one or two of these could actually float and do pretty well, we could see huge amounts of companies going public at big, big valuations and kind of putting confidence back into the market. 
Yeah, and I have to say, it's not every day we get to talk about IPOs in Europe. And so all of a sudden, it feels like we're talking about tons of them and not just from any old company. I mean, having names like Spotify, Deezer, Delivery Hero, these are these are big, solid companies. So I think it's definitely promising. As you said, maybe not going to happen for all of them this year. We'll be very interested to see if Delivery Hero actually makes that Q4 cutoff. So now turning our attention to Luxembourg, as I was kind of looking over the news uh, for this particular topic, I thought to myself, I don't know any other startup from Luxembourg. Neil, do you know another startup from Luxembourg? No, well, I always see one's headquartered there, but then obviously that's for, for other reasons other than being based there. <laughs> so no, I can't say that I know a true Luxembourg startup before this one. Well, I think that for our listeners, if you can't name a startup based in Luxembourg prior to listening to this, you definitely have one now and one that looks very solid. So it's a company called Job Today, obviously in the HR space, and they've just raised a $10 million round of funding with Excel, Felix Capital, and Mangrove Capital Partners. So the company is already present in Luxembourg, obviously, but also in Spain, and will be launching in the UK and France later this year. So this round was primarily to kind of uh, speed up their international development. The platform connects job seekers and the services industry with businesses that are hiring or hoping to fill a position the same day. So I guess that's where the name Job Today comes from. And the company has mainly claimed to have helped 10,000 people find work. They've processed over 2 million applications since the launch. So definitely doing very well. And I think we have companies like Delivery Hero and Yumi Sushi that have used the service. Yeah, I think this is really interesting, actually, um, because it's almost like a kind of HR or job recruitment service for startups, I mean, or for companies that we are creating now. So you mentioned Deliveroo, Yumi Sushi, very much kind of companies that need to capitalize on quick hiring due to the nature of their business. You know, Deliveroo needs some some more delivery couriers or whatever the, the exact term for them is, but they're very much job openings which are quick to fill, normally short term, and don't require a lot of kind of interview process. It's more a case of, you know, are you able to do this, yes or no? What I find interesting about this is it's almost a it's a startup not created for startups, but it's a startup that has come out of the way that we are changing businesses with other startups. So very much one for kind of tomorrow's job market from these kind of quick jobs that we're creating. Yeah, and I think uh, we're probably going to continue to see more and more platforms dedicated to this kind of new flexible job market as well. Now we will turn our attention to France. So Aircall is a company that develops software that aims to improve collaborative phone systems, has just raised 2.75 million in seed from Balderton, Funders Club, and a number of unnamed angels in the US, France, and Germany. So it's actually a company that, um, at least in France, we've, we've been hearing about it for quite a while, it was founded by e-founder startup studio in 2014, so it's not that old, went on to raise about 800000 from business angels like Oleg Cheltsov, he's one of the founders of Fotolia, and a couple of other angels as well. They also participated in the 500 Startups program in San Francisco. So this startup has, you know, kind of already gone through some pretty decent steps. The product requires no hardware. It's essentially a business phone system that can be launched as an app, integrates with a number of different programs and platforms like Salesforce, Pipe Drive, Slack, Zendesk. And the product 
similar actually to Job Today, is used by a number of on-demand giants like Uber or Deliveroo. Yeah, I was just about to comment on that, actually. I think it's very similar in that way and, and kind of the point that I touched on before. What's interesting about Aircool, so it's an idea that I really like. I mean, it seems kind of very simple, essentially, but it's one of those ideas that, that seems so simple, but it just works. And I have this gut feeling about this company. Actually, I can't even explain it, but I feel like they're definitely a company to watch. Yeah, and I'd have to say, actually, I get that feeling with a lot of the eFounders startups. So eFounders Studio is a really interesting player in France. They're not an accelerator. They actually build companies. So they're putting together the teams, they bring in the ideas themselves, and then they, they build the, car, the companies from there. They've made some of France's leading startups like Mailjet, Textmaster, Mention, also Front, which was one of the few French companies to have ever participated in Y Combinator. Yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, and you say that this this is a startup studio that's kind of producing some really strong companies, but startup studios are still kind of something that we don't see that much in Europe. I know there's kind of only one or two in the Nordics and not many more than that in Europe. Uh, but it, it's kind of, you found it look like they're a good kind of model or case study for that type of, uh, well, I guess I would say they're not investors, but they're not, you know, they're building these companies. One thing that I would say about this is entrepreneur first, often seen kind of like as a almost an accelerator program or seed investor, if you think about it, they're in many ways similar to a startup studio because what they do is kind of match people with each other and match them with ideas and then kind of build them from that program so it's not like a pre-existing idea so although we we think of entrepreneur first as kind of accelerator or kind of early investor i would actually say that their model is actually quite similar to startup studio as well yeah and i definitely think the startup studio i mean we probably also see it very rarely because it really requires some solid people to to build these companies and to have the companies be successful so i think e-founders in that respect i mean they have a very unique team. The founders, they've all come from very credible companies. One of them is, is also from Photolia, which we mentioned earlier. So I think that we have really a, a very kind of unique group of people running the studio, which probably contributes to making it so successful. Now for our first ever guest on the podcast, Neil, I'm sure this is a huge honor for you. You had a chance to catch up with Carlos Espinal, who is a partner over at Seedcamp in London on what their numbers look like. Yes, I did. They released some uh, numbers this week on kind of how their portfolio had performed since they first started and a couple of numbers were of particular interest to me so I grilled him a little further on those. So thank you for joining me Carlos to go through some of these numbers that you released this week. Thank you. So yeah really interesting numbers actually and, and just to see the progress that you guys have made and kind of to lay it out in terms of data. There are a couple of numbers that particularly caught my eye. The first one being in the fact that you'd invested in 206 startups, but from 37 different countries. And I just wondered kind of how deliberate that was, whether that is part of your strategy to be very diverse in terms of countries. Actually, at the same time, how you go about attracting talent and kind of startups from 37 different countries. Yeah, it's a good question, Neil. Actually, it's built into the DNA of Seed Camp. When we first started, it was an attempt to bring together a lot of the fractured ecosystem that was Europe at the time in 2007. So it involved us literally traveling quite a bit. And you know, even up to today, I've been traveling quite a bit. Last year, just in Q3 and Q4 alone, between all the conferences and all the events and even going to Hong Kong, meeting companies wherever they are. And one of the reasons why we started doing that was because 
early on in 2007, the cost for a founder, let's say in Eastern Europe to fly to London was far in excess vis-a-vis what their average salary was per, per annum. It was far in excess of, let's say, what somebody closer, let's say in France would. So it was built into the DNF seed camp from the very beginning. Okay, so this is something that kind of enables you to get a good breadth of talent as well. So this is very deliberate, I guess, in terms of that. So if you're limiting yourselves to certain geography, it's kind of harder to access that talent. So if you're able to go out and look for it, then you shouldn't limit yourself. So is it very much a case of looking for talent as well? It is. And actually, a very good case study for that is is Lisbon. We were the first investors really to double down on Lisbon. And that was almost like four years ago now. And if you look at now what's happened, it's this huge explosion. And I was there recently um, at one of the events. And, you know, we were attributed as being a very big catalyst in bringing a lot of attention to the Lisbon scene based upon the number of investments we've made in Portuguese companies. And you see how much you can really tap into the talent that most countries have, but really sort of bringing a context upon which people can uh, get together, get to know each other, meet where the the investors are, meet who the developers are, and really sort of put a a huge spark into that ecosystem. And how do you go about it practically? How do you go about kind of getting your reputation out there to enable you to invest in in so many different countries? Is it a case of being on the ground, like you just said, in Lisbon and and kind of just getting out there and taking part in these ecosystems? Because I imagine it's hard to kind of get a good reputation in so many different countries to invest in such a wide range. It is. I mean, the way that we go about it really is through events that we help co-host early on. So the very first time that we go to a geography, it'll be around helping co-host with the heroes, local heroes. You know, generally speaking, every single ecosystem has one or two people that are very, very active. And we try our best to, to help amplify their cause. And over time, that just materializes into more and more and more ambitious events. But generally, that's how it starts. It's a very small grassroots initiative at first, and that's how it scales up. Cool. So yeah, digging a little deeper into the numbers in terms of kind of the success that you've had so far, you've had 12 exits, which is about 6% of your portfolio, which I think for a kind of early stage investors is a very good record, especially in the, the kind of time span that you've existed. So I thought that was very impressive. And it really stood out. Something else that stood out for me is, of course, as everyone does, you also had companies that have shut down. I don't feel that this is kind of related to seed company in any way itself. But I feel that It's interesting that even with a strong support network, even with funding, of course, you know, there's still a chance that that good percentage of companies won't make it. Yeah, no, and that's true. And actually, I would say that that's the case for most investment portfolios. But actually, the earlier you go, the higher it's expected Mm -hmm. to be. And the reasons shut down isn't entirely always things that can be within your control to to support. For example, one large criteria for early stage pre-seed and seed companies falling apart is literally conflicts between founders. And I think that at the end of the day, relationships are probably the trickiest thing to try to reconcile once trust is broken. So no matter what level of support, unless you really literally want to go into the business of marriage counseling, sometimes it's just inevitable that the team will not continue because there is a divergence in in ambitions and vision and, and execution plans. That said, failure is not a bad thing in an early stage portfolio. It's actually in some cases more efficient to repurpose founders from very good companies that just couldn't go somewhere because of no product market fit or because it was disagreements internally and repurpose those founders slash engineers, marketers, et cetera, to companies that are doing better. And we have quite a good track record actually of placing founders or engineers from companies that didn't make it to ones that, that do. 
That's really interesting, actually. I think that would be also an interesting number to kind of pull out one stage yeah, in the future. Actually, yeah, I should dig deep into that number. It would be a really cool quote to give you. I don't have that on top of my head. But one thing I can say, though, is that it's actually very interesting because the larger the, our portfolio, the 206 companies, the more opportunities present themselves yeah. to the point now where we internally have somebody who's entirely fixated on helping companies identify talent. And it's literally becoming a full-time job because of the nature of having 206 companies, each with hiring needs. And for every one company that shuts down, there's at least one role from that company that shut down that another one of the 206 companies needs. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense, actually. Cool. Uh, and finally, the other number that really stood out for me was that 15% of your portfolio could be classified as fintech. And I just wondered how deliberate that was on your behalf, or just is it just indicative of kind of what's happening right now in Europe? Mm-hmm. I, actually, I think there's three points there. The first one is London, uh, and London as a, as a center for fintech. Two has to do with personal preferences and interests. And three kind of waves of innovation. The reason why uh, I'll start with waves of innovation, there are trends that pop up depending on whether an industry is ready for disruption. So if you look at our prop tech portfolio, which is roughly 7% of our overall investments, one of the things that if you looked at it from a time perspective, you'd see that it's actually quite compressed. And the reason why is because the wave of innovation and disruption for prop tech has only really come into, into place within the last two years. And so it wasn't something that you could have bet on over a period of time, let's say like other verticals like e-commerce or marketplaces. And so there's some things like that where when they present themselves and it's the right time, we're obviously going to get into it. There's other er- areas where we're just interested in general. You know, for example, we're very interested in general in marketplaces and that's that's 5% of our portfolio and that will continue to grow. And whenever opportunities pop up, we will take them. But then lastly, on, on the fintech one being as, as high as it is, it's a combination of those three things. It's a combination of the fact that, yes, there has been a wave of disruption, and that's going to continue with things like insurance popping into, into the, the fray. It's also partially an interest, you know, an interest of mine and interest of Reshma's. And lastly, it's because there, from a, a geopolitical point of view and from a sort of aggregation of capital point of view, London is an epicenter for fintech. I don't know if I can be as bold to say it is the fintech capital of the world, but it's definitely one of the top five, if not the top three. And so as a consequence of that, you're going to have an aggregation of opportunities and specialists and HR and uh, marketing know-how that allows for fintech to be uh, disrupted here and for us to have access to that as for, for investment. Cool. Thank you for joining us, Carlos. Thanks, Neil. So glad you had a chance to catch up with Carlos. We'll definitely be featuring other people on the podcast as well in our upcoming episodes. So if our listeners have anyone they'd like to recommend to us, please feel free to get in touch. Yes, please do. You can also leave any feedback you have on the show in the comments section or reach out to us on Twitter at Neil S.W. Murray or at Roxanne Vaza and at tech underscore EU. The website is obviously tech.eu. We are on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Acast, so please do subscribe there and leave us a review as well. That helps us be found and have other people interested in the European technology scene listen to us as well. But that's all for this week. Thank you, Roxanne, and we'll be back next week. Thanks, Neil.